Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of Ladies Who Punt is brought to you by Inglis. Inglis has had over a century of turf champions go through their sales rings. And now with their pink bonus series, there has never been a better time for women to join in on the fun of racehorse ownership. That's right, Grace. With the bonus prize money up for grabs, the Pink Bonus Series is a great initiative to get more women involved in racing, making Inglis a fabulous partner to ladies who punt. We can't thank them enough for supporting our podcast and the representation of women in the racing media. Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. And welcome back to another episode of Ladies Who Punt. We are the podcast that aims to decode the sport of horse racing one topic at a time. My name is Fiona Blair and with me here today, as always, is Grace Ramage. Hello, Grace. Hello, Fee, and hello, everybody listening to another episode of Ladies Who Punt. We are looking ahead to the Cranbourne Cup meeting, which is this Saturday. Um, obviously, we're sort of, we've got one more um, Metropolitan Spring Race Day, which is next Saturday at Caulfield, which hosts the Zipping Classic and a couple of other stakes races. But outside of that, the Spring Racing Carnival is basically, from its Metropolitan perspective, all wrapped up now. And we get to look ahead to sort of the summer racing period. And what that means is plenty of country cups. So the Cranbourne Cup this Saturday is the one that takes centre stage. Uh, an amazing day out there um, for all the local um, participants because we know that Cranbourne is such a massive racing hub now given that there are so many trainers that train out of the facility um, that it's going to be a great day no doubt and looking forward to seeing what happens on the racetrack as well. Yeah I mean there is also the group one railway stakes over in Perth Grace but you know mm-hmm. we have to have our priorities right and uh, Cranbourne Cup came out on top for us this year. <laughs> Well, yes, that's very true, Fee. While our spring racing carnival here in Melbourne and also Sydney has now wrapped up, that means, as we know, with the racing calendar, that every sort of um, every calendar period we roll on to a new place for our feature racing, and that always into December is in Perth. It's the Pinnacles. They've got the Railway, the Kingston Town. They've got the Winter Bottom for the sprinters. Um, they've got plenty of good racing. But in terms of our podcast for the sake of, you know, following on from the horses that we've been talking about this whole uh, season, it's easy for us to just continue on with the Cranbourne Cup being our main form preview. Yep. And as you said, it's Country Cup's time. So it's nice to be able to preview one of the stronger ones in the Cranbourne Cup first up and I think it's the first time we've ever previewed a country cup as well which is very exciting. Grace why are country cups so appealing to trainers and owners to win? They seem to you know trainers sometimes seem to get as excited about winning a country cup as they do about winning a group one. Why is that? It's definitely the case for um, a lot of trainers and I suppose it's 
if you go back and actually have a look, which is one of my favorite things to do at when you're presented with a um, country cup, the history that has been attached to that race. For example, let's have a quick look at the country cup history around Cranbourne, which of course is the one that we are looking at this Saturday. I mean, the Cranbourne Racing Club, the first race meeting ever was taken place at Cranbourne in 1867. And it is a club that has such a rich history. You go back to the honour roll, there's, you know, horses that jump out going back to 1960, you know, trainers that have done amazing things, jockeys that have done amazing things. There's just so much history around a lot of these country clubs and the cups itself. Um, just like the Melbourne Cup is Australia's race, the Cranbourne Cup is, you know, the region of Cranbourne and that area's race, especially for trainers that train, you know, local Cranbourne trainers are desperately going to be wanting to win their Cranbourne Cup. But you can even, a funny thing, a, a way to tell is take a look at the trophies. Like if you're watching the coverage on Saturday, even on any of the upcoming Sundays where we've got country cups galore, have a look at the trophies. They are absolutely enormous. Um, you know, they're really like old traditional trophies, none of this like, you know, plasticky stuff. It's it, They're proper trophies and that just goes to show the level of history and I suppose tradition that's attached to these country cups. So definitely a lot of trainers um, do want to target country cups to be able to win because it's just that sense of, I suppose, what it was like back in the olden days. Yeah, we're going to have a little bit of a country cup double here at, at Ladies Who Punt because this week we're doing a Cranbourne Cup preview, but then next week we're going to be sitting down with Penny Penfold who works with uh, Country Racing Victoria and she is in charge of running quite a few of the uh, clubs, country clubs in our state. So it's going to be great to pick her brain about why people love country cup racing so much and just country racing as well and and what it does for the racing landscape and also for the towns that get to host these really fun meetings each and every year but before we go into our preview today we have a couple of listener questions to answer grace so let's get into those okay the first listener question is from Jamie Lawrence. Her name might be familiar because she keeps mopping up the floor with us all in the tipping comp. Yes, she She's does. twice now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Jamie asked today, something I've wondered recently about is when it comes to class races. I can understand the rating 58, 64, 70, but what trips me up is when it's a C2 or C3. What's the difference in the race rating? Thanks, girls. Love your work. (laughs) Okay, Grace, let's help out Jamie here and all those who are wondering the same thing because it can get a little bit tricky and I feel like class races have a little bit of mystery around them and it's very hard to get a clear answer as to you know, what they are and how a horse might be weighted in these races. Yeah, so I suppose the difference firstly is we did our whole – we did our whole episode based on the handicap benchmark system where um, Jamie's already said that she understands that really well. Horses that are eligible, you know, a 63 rater can run in a benchmark 64 and get weighted accordingly. Um, but when we talk about these C1, C2, C3, it's a different category of races, essentially. C1 means class one, C2, class two, class three, class four, class five. Uh, Different racing jurisdictions have more of these 
this type of category of race than others. I suppose the best way to describe it is um, if you're in a class one, to be eligible to race in a class one, your horse cannot have won more than one race. To be eligible to run in a class three, your horse cannot have won more than three races. So that's basically how it works. Uh, but in terms of the way that the horses are weighted, again, you have to check when you're actually looking at the conditions of the race at the top. Let's say you click on it on Racing Australia and you go and actually see that race three is a class one. Uh, you can see, is it a handicap race or is it a set weights race? I just did a little bit of a look um, over the weekend. We've got plenty of class racing in Queensland and a lot of those are under set weights. So the best way to explain this is, well, we know that under set weights anywhere, in, let's think about a three-year-old race, um, you know, the three-year-old Colts and Geldings are going to carry 56 kilos whereas the fillies are going to carry 54 kilos because any filly or mare gets a two kilo allowance. So we already factor that in. If we're looking at a set weights class two, we're already going to know that the fillies or the mares are going to have two kilos less than the boys. Um, but then the other way that it works with set weights in, in the class category of race is that if your horse has run has won, let's say it's class three, if your horse has won the three races to make them eligible, they'll carry the, the top weight. But if they're running in class three and they've only won two races, they're going to get a little bit of weight relief. Maybe it's half a kilo or a kilo, depending on the jurisdiction. So you can run in a class three if you've only won one race and you will get weight relief off the horses that have won three races in that race. But you cannot have won more than three races to run in the race. So that's how it works under the set weights in a class category of race. That's a very that good explanation there, Grace. Thank you. Yeah, definitely makes a lot of sense. It's always tricky working out these little nuances in racing. Obviously, we try to tackle the broader topics, but it's good to, to get down to the nitty gritty as well. And then we have another question from Olivia, who is friend of yours grace people may have seen olivia on racing.com recently she's uh one of the new british presenters she's been i think just around since the start of the spring grace she has a really good question today which international arrival staying on in australia do you think will be strongest here oh that is a tough question that is a very tough question we've seen lots of the European horses that have come down to race in the spring racing carnival here in Melbourne and also in Sydney, you know, change stables already. You know, the likes of Valiant King that we saw race through the Caulfield Cup, um, that was with Joseph O'Brien, but now he's going to be raced by um, by Australian Connections and even Victoria Road. Well, he raced in the Cox Plate for Aidan O'Brien, but then his next start, which was in the Champions Mile, he raced for Kiramar and David Eustace. So that change in trainer and change in ownership happened very quickly to the point where they could race two weeks later for new connections or for a new trainer anyway. So we're going to see a lot of those horses um, stick around, which is great. And it always is tricky to sort of identify at this stage which horse is going to be the one that acclimatizes best to the Australian conditions and doesn't just you know, holds his form, but actually thrives and goes goes to the next level. And a brilliant, the best example of that is this time last year, I wish that we had all answered without a fight because he came over here last year for <laughs> Simon and Ed Crisford and then was transferred to Anthony and Sam Friedman. 
obviously he didn't do anything in the Melbourne Cup last year, but he's won the Corville Cup and the Melbourne Cup this year and two massive races mm. in Queensland as well. So he's the perfect example of a horse that's come out here and absolutely thrived in with his change in, I suppose, environment and, and training regimes. In terms of who I think we might be the, without a fight from this time next year, I've got probably one that's a little bit obscure and that hasn't gone through the big group ones here in Melbourne, but it's a horse that I was following and was purchased by Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott from um, England. He raced at Royal Ascot and he raced really well there. Then he's come out here and had two runs, this preparation in the Silver Eagle and the Golden Eagle. I ha haven't, he hasn't done anything super exciting yet, but he's a nice horse. His name is New Endeavour. Um, and I think that he is one that's got the right sort of racing style and the right sort of 1600 meter, 1800 meter ability to be able to make some presence felt in some nice races that we've got. So new endeavor, I think would be the one that I'm very excited to see. He's in the paddock now having a nice deserved spell. He's had a busy last six months. So I'm excited to see him come back in the autumn, potentially racing some, you know, 1600 to 2000 meter races here uh, in Australia, and hopefully we can see him go on to bigger and better things. Well, that's a good one for us to follow, Grace, probably into the autumn or, or next spring for sure. So thanks for pointing him out. New endeavour for the Gay Waterhouse and Bot Stable. Okay, well, now that we've answered those two very good listener questions for Jamie and Olivia, it's time to get into our preview of the Cranbourne Cup uh, on Saturday. Oh, hi there, listeners. It's Fee here, just taking a little break from our episode this week to let you know that for the next three weeks, we are going to be running a Ladies Who Punt giveaway. So for each and every week, we are going to be giving away a Ladies Who Punt merch pack. In the pack, there is the Ladies Who Punt racing scarf, the Ladies Who Punt cap, and the Ladies Who Punt mug. So what do you have to do to enter this giveaway? Well, it's very simple. All you need to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Then what we'll do is go through the reviews each and every week and randomly draw a winner. So we're going to be doing this for the next three weeks. So there'll be three Ladies Who Punt merch packs up for grabs. So make sure you don't miss out on winning one of these packs and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, now back to the show. Uh <laughs> Right, Grace, the Cranbourne Cup 1600 metres handicap at listed level. First of all, what I want to know before we get into the field and form, I just want to have a little reminder of what kind of track we're going to be racing around at Cranbourne on Saturday. What kind of race shape is Cranbourne racing track? So Cranbourne is definitely a tighter turning circuit. It's sort of a little bit like Mooney Valley in the sense that Compared to Flemington, it's got a lot more turns, so you're turning for a lot longer. Um, doesn't have like the wide open expanses where you can run in a straight line for a long time. So the straight isn't; it's not too short like Mooney Valley, um, but it definitely is advantageous to be near the the speed or um, building into the race at the top of the straight to be within striking distance because you are bending for quite a while to get into the home straight if that makes sense you're turning for a long way so those horses that are able to sort of be up on speed and get to the, the straight and kick kick first are the ones that generally do have 
um, an advantage in being there first past the post. So generally it is a tighter turning track than like Flemington, for example, but it's um, it's generally plays relatively fairly. I would just hope that if you're on a back marker that they're building into the race at the right time. Okay, well, before we go into the speed map, let's take a quick look at the market. Our favourite so far for the race since markets opened is number nine, Foxy Cleopatra at $3.90. We then have number 10, Euphoric at $5. Just Folk number two comes in at $7 as well as number three here to shock. Grace, that's what the market's looking like. How is the speed map shaping up? There's not a great deal of speed in the race fee, to be honest. I think we'll see number four, a session from barrier 11 and also just folk from barrier nine, maybe even pounding from barrier eight look to come across because um, as we've just mentioned, it's not a great track to be posted deep. They're going to have to make a decision. These horses drawn wide. And I think that they'll probably decide to be up near the pace rather than go back towards the rear. So those horses probably press forward, but none of them are noted leaders in that way um, that, you know, like Buffalo River or something, we're going to expect a fast tempo just on the fact that that's what those horses do. I think it'll probably just be an even tempo and allowing every horse to get their chance. And who do you think is going to be out the back? Who's going to be the unlucky ones at the back of the field? Well, I think the favourite, Foxy Cleopatra from Barrier 3, she's probably going to be towards the rear somewhere. She doesn't have a lot of gate speed. Also a horse like Bee Hunter from Barrier 4. Um, you know, generally you'd think, oh, Barrier 3 and Barrier 4, that's a that's a big help for those horses. But when you've got low draws with back markers, especially around tight turning tracks, it can be um, a, a, certainly a disadvantage for those horses. So they might be able to, I mean, they're going to have soft runs, there's no doubt. They don't have to use any petrol to get their position at all, but they might be back and buried and looking for the gaps at the right time. But one of the things about the Cranbourne Cup fee, and I think it's an important um, learning aspect for our listeners, is that now that we are off the back of the you know, the heart of the spring racing carnival here in Melbourne. We've had Melbourne Cup week. We've had Caulfield Cup, Cox Plate. It gets to this stage each and every year where we've got horses that have been rocking and rolling all through feature races or, you know, stakes races through the spring racing carnival that then their trainers are saying, well, the horse is fit and thriving and feeling really good. Let's go again in the Cranbourne Cup or let's go again in the Ballarat Cup and they prolong their campaign. But we also know that horses at some stage put in flat runs saying, no, I've had enough now. I need to go to the paddock. So it's always at this time of year, the tricky point trying to ascertain which horse is still on the way up or holding their form or which horse is ready to, you know, put in a, put in a performance which suggests to the trainer that they need to have a break and that they've come to the end of their preparation, time to reset them for another campaign in a couple of months' time as opposed to a horse like Foxy Cleopatra here that is fresh out of nowhere, basically. She's only had one start this preparation. So you can guarantee that she has not been to the well too many times. She is definitely still on the up. She's only had the one start and it was a pretty soft run uh, where she sprinted home well. So while you might look at some of these horses at the top of the page and think, wow, they've got amazing form, you know, this horse ran wasn't beaten far in a group one, three, two starts ago compared to ones that are sort of coming up out of nowhere. You sort of, it's a real balancing act trying to work out which one is um, the right one to hold on to 
or which one is the the up and comer that it's time to jump onto. Yeah, and I think the other thing about this race going through the form is that there are those horses that have been running in Group Ones through the spring, um, and now they've you know down to listed level. But you're right, they've had quite a few runs under their belts. And then there's those who are coming up from country ranks. So there's also this like real mis- mm-hmm. mishmash of form lines too, which is really interesting and adds to that like just because they've running they've been running in the country and they're versing a horse that's been has ran in like two or three group ones this prep doesn't mean that they are yep. far off that horse because of where they're at in that preparation. So very interesting. It makes it tricky. And obviously the market is reflecting that with a favorite at three dollars ninety. Grace, who would you like to start off talking about? Is there one horse that's really grabbing your attention in this field? Well we can start by talking about the favorite Fo- Foxy Cleopatra because when I first looked at it, I thought, Foxy Cleopatra, how is she the favourite in a Cranbourne Cup? She's only <laughs> had five career starts. Um, she's only had one start for this preparation. And prior to that one start, she'd had over a year on the sidelines coming off a mm-hmm. VRC Oaks preparation in the spring of last year. Um, so obviously she hasn't come back for her autumn campaign for whatever reason, but she's only very lightly raced. Yes, she ran second in a group three ethereal stakes at a third start for three-year-old fillies uh, last spring, and that was a good run. We just – she certainly um, – we haven't seen a lot of her, especially outside of Mare's grade. She last start came through the Hong Kong Jockey Club Stakes, which is a group three for four-year-old Mare's over 1,400 metres, and her run there was enormous. She almost won. She almost beat Skewiff, who subsequently was huge um, last Saturday in the group one Sir Rupert Clark Stakes. So her last start, Foxy Cleopatra's, was really, really good, but it was in Mare's grade. Um and, yeah, I'm just not convinced that we haven't seen enough from her to suggest that she's the one to beat in a Cranbourne Cup. However, I did also have significant doubts about magic time in the Sarupa Clark stakes <laughs> off similar yeah. sort of a, a thought process. And, boy, oh, boy, was I wrong about that because she was just way too good for that field. Like her run was absolutely enormous magic time. She is a very, very high-class mare. So I'm – a little bit like I think Foxy Cleopatra, obviously the market's got her the one to beat here. I wouldn't be surprised to see her drift. Maybe there'll be money coming for some of those seasoned, hardened geldings that have um, got a lot of race fitness on their side. And um, I think the money will probably come for them. But I'm interested by Foxy Cleopatra because while she hasn't done it yet, maybe doesn't mean that she won't go and do it here. And obviously the stable, Trent Busted and Natalie Young, they are Cranbourne locals. They would love to win a Cranbourne Cup and they've got enough faith in Fo- Foxy Cleopatra to suggest that she should be here at a fifth start in a listed Cranbourne Cup handicap against the older horses. Um, you know, it's she's a really interesting runner. I'm excited to see what she can do. Yeah, I actually really like Foxy Cleopatra on Saturday, Grace. I thought she boldly announced her return to racing in that start at Flemington in the Hong Kong Jockey Club Stakes Group 3. That was 1,400 metres. She now steps up to 1,600 metres, which obviously suits from how she ran in that race. And just the point you made that she ran second behind Skewiff very closely, um, who has been running very well all spring. She paid $31 there on that day, which, of course, 
makes sense because she was coming off such a big break. She's by American Pharaoh. And I think from what I know of the American Pharaohs, like I, I do think they're going to get better with age. So I don't think having that big time off for whatever reason, we're not sure is, you know, a bad thing for her. I think that's going to help her mature and strengthen uh, just based on her breeding. I, so I am with her on Saturday, but I do have two concerns that I'd like to flag. Number one, from the last start at Flemington, it wasn't a very high rating race. For Just like you said, it was a very soft run. But I still thought it was impressive how she finished off given the break she had had um, away from racing. Second thing that does concern me is that, you know, as we talked about before we looked at the field, there are horses here that are rock hard fit, have been racing for months and months, and she's second up off a very long break. Like, maybe this week isn't her week, but I do think she's very exciting to follow into the summer. But I am going to have her on top, I think. Grace, the horse in the second line of betting, who is also quite interesting, is Euphoric. So he's been racing pretty consistently this prep. He's paying $5 at the moment on the market. He won his first up run at Geelong over 1,500 metres. And then last start had a very eye-catching finish at Flemington in the MCC final over the mile, where he ran second behind Picaroon. Now, when I went back and watched that replay, Picaroon had a much softer run than Euphoric, sort of near the front and didn't have to do a lot of work once he got to the straight, whereas Euphoric was three wide basically the whole race and then had quite a bit of distance to make up. So I thought that was quite a good run. He was really flashing home. One of the big ticks for me on Saturday, Grace, is that he gets four and a half kilos off his back from that last start. What are your thoughts on number 10, Euphoric? Well, absolutely, Fee. You mentioned the weight that he's getting off his last start and how he gets into this race, the Cranbourne Cup, with 54 kilos on his back. If you go and take a look, of course, we know the Cranbourne Cup is run under handicap conditions. So like the Melbourne Cup or the Caulfield Cup, it's based on your handicap rating that then equates to the weight that you have to carry. Euphoric won a benchmark 78 two starts ago, and he is an 80 rater. So it's no doubt and no surprise to see him in with the minimum weight here when the top weight is a 103 rater in pounding. And you've got Just Folk, who wasn't far behind Prowess in a group two crystal mile at weight for age on Cox Plate Day as the second top rater with 102 rating. So he is a very interesting runner here, but there's no doubt that he is in the deep end, while this is only a listed race, he's up against some proper stakes horses. Now, 54 kilos is going to help him, um, certainly. But again, is he good enough? Mm, not sure. He only won a benchmark 78 um, two starts ago. And last start, he was good, as you said, but in a, a way inferior race in terms of competition. However, what is in his favor is that he is only third up. He is still a horse on the up. Um, it is only a listed race. You know, it's, he's not going to a group two or anything and being really penalized against some even higher quality horses and are pounding and just folk and all those sort of horses ready to bring their best again, or are they going to put in one of those potentially flat runs suggesting that their spring carnival has come to an end um, and time to reset them for another campaign. So He's probably one that's got less uh, appeal for me in terms of what I've seen them do in the past for a Cranbourne Cup, but the weight will help him. Uh, it would also help him to see, you know, those top weights not put in their best, 
I still think Foxy Cleopatra, she's got the same weight. She's definitely got um, more to like about the way that she sets up for the Cranbourne Cup. Well, Grace, let's talk about those horses towards the top, uh, like Pounding and Just Folk. Yes, they are horses that have been running in some very nice races throughout the spring. But both of these horses, I was left a bit sort of disappointed going back and watching their replays of their last starts. I just didn't feel like they were making a lot of ground. I just, yeah, I I know they're good horses, but, you know, like you say, we want to see horses going on the up. And to me, neither of them really looked like that. What are your thoughts on those two coming into a race, dropping down in grade into listed level? Well, Pounding has had the five starts already this campaign, and he was you know, finishing midfield in Group 1s, the Epsom handicap up in Sydney. Then he came down for the Turak handicap at Caulfield again, finished midfield behind attrition. Both of those, well, a couple of these races that he's had this campaign have been of very, very fast early tempo. So, you know, he has certainly given his all on a number of different occasions now. And his last start in the listed Furphy played at 1,800 metres. To be honest, maybe... Maybe the 1,800 metres wasn't to his liking, but then again, he did run third in an Australian Cup at 2,000 metres last prep. So I feel like that run was a flat run for pounding in the listed Furphy plate last start. And because that that was a flat run, he sat close to a fast speed there and got pretty tired late, um, regressed and finished midfield. I can't be with him here. Like he's definitely one that I'm happy to just wait and see. He might be one that's you know, not ready to go to that new peak, but instead just hold what he has been doing. On the other hand, I feel like Just Folk is ready to go to that next level. And there's no doubt that Gavin Bedgegood, his trainer, Cranbourne based, would have almost targeted him to this after he ran um, fourth in a six-horse field in the Mooney Valley Crystal Mile on Cox Plate Day. Um, Gavin Bedgegood would have looked at the book and thought, hmm, okay, what are we going to do next with Cranbourne with Just Folk and then realise that the Cranbourne Cup's only a month away. Let's put him on ice. Month between runs, here he is, third up in a Cranbourne Cup. He is good enough to win this. His best is definitely good enough to win this. And I like the fact that they've clearly targeted this to have him ready to rock and roll. So I think he is probably over the odds at the $7 and, you know, just class horse in the race that can still produce their best. It gets a big tick from me. Here to Shock is another horse that's sort of similar to Pounding in that he's been there and done that quite a bit this campaign. Um, His last start, he was only beaten a length in a group two, 1,400-metre contest, sat on speed there and just got collared late. Um, The query for Here to Shock would probably be the end of 1,600 metres. But the thing is, Fee, something else we haven't mentioned yet, is that there's a chance that we're going to be on a rain-affected track on Saturday, which would definitely bring two horses into play, Just Folk and also Here to Shock. There's plenty of rain around. Um, Both of these horses absolutely love wet tracks. So if the rain does fall, um, I think you have to even believe and have that opinion that Just Folk and Here to Shock will go to the next level because they handle the rain-affected tracks uh, so well. They they really thrive in those conditions. Yeah, that's very interesting and a good point from you, Grace. Another horse I wanted to talk about was number six, Umgawa. So this is a horse who has been who has had a long time between wins, over a year since his last win. However, I thought last start he was putting his hand up, Grace, to say that he might be back in some kind of form. 
He ran second in the Vobis Gold Star at the Valley. He was just 0.1 length off winning there. Had a bit of bad luck, I think, with the bob of the head and just missed it. And what I liked about that run, Grace, is that he was sort of towards the tail end of a smallish field at the Valley and had also a bit of bad luck in the straight, unable to sort of get clear galloping room until the very last minute and still made up a heap of ground off of that limited free running room. Two things which I think are hard to do at the Valley, you know, be running from a tail end position and also needing a heap of luck in the straight to get out and still finish off strongly. Like I think he, I think that was a good run from him. The best we've seen it from him in a while. What do you think about him? Yeah, he is such a consistent horse, isn't he? And he definitely deserves his chance um, in a Cranbourne Cup. Like he almost was so close to winning a listed race at Caulfield, the Regal Roller earlier this prep. Um, he then was only half a length away, over 1,400 metres in the Sofitel at Flemington, again at listed level. So he's knocking on the door in this class. He definitely deserves his chance at a race like this. And again, with 54 kilos, he'll get that chance. I suppose it's a good way of looking at a race like this in, in terms of how um, how to play it with the colliding form lines, the rock-hard fit stakes horses with the up-and-comers that are coming up through the ranks. Last start, we saw Umgawa almost win that Tabay Shaw race at the Valley. If you had have put uh, Just Folk or Pounding or Here to Shock in that race, the chances are those horses at their best would have been winning and winning comfortably. So it's just in terms of it's just looking at the, the class and the competition that certain horses are taking on. You've got to factor in, yes, it's the eye-catching run, euphoric is the same, but the quality of horse compared to what they face here is totally different. But the thing is you need those top-weighted horses in this race to bring their best. Otherwise, if they drop, if they rate down, the race becomes totally winnable for Umgawa. So he's hard fit. Um, he's had a month between runs as well and a vanilla trial to tick him over. So he'll come here relatively fresh and feeling good. And if those horses at the top don't bring their best, I think Umgawa's got a really good chance and it would be great to see him win because he's so deserving. Grace, is there any other horses that we need to talk about in this field? I'm really interested in Charterhouse because he's one I've been following this preparation, number five for Kiramar and David Eustace. Um, he has, own, has only been out here in Australia for about a year. He was formerly um, racing over in, in Ireland and he sort of burst onto the scene with a couple of runs through the winter. Then he was given a little bit of a freshen up and came back into the spring carnival where he resumed in the Bobby Lewis quality, which is down the Flemington Strait over 1,200 metres. Ran behind Star Patrol there, who's a pretty good horse, pretty handy straight horse as well. Um, he was pretty good there, like just got warm late. But then he went straight second up to the Turak handicap. So he went 1,200 metres first up to a mile um, Turak handicap at group one level where they went so hard early and he, I just believe he was not fit enough for that. I just don't think he was ready for that pressure cooker contest against, you know, hard fit horses. Here to shot comes through that race as well. Um, you can see in the replay of the Turak handicap, the Charterhouse is one of the first horses to feel the pinch and, and get under pressure because it's my opinion that he was just, you know, running out of puff pretty quickly. He's then been given 40 days since that run. So they've obviously let him get over that, um, reset him. And at his best, I feel like he can 
measure up in a race like this. And if he does go close in a Cranbourne Cup here, I think he's one to definitely watch looking ahead to potentially a race like the Group 1 Doncaster Handicap in the autumn. Um, I think any rain would help him as well on Saturday as well. So it's a bit of a fork in the road for Charterhouse this run. I think he'll go really well. Um, and if he does, he might be one to put in the black books for some other feature racing in coming preparations. Very interesting. And anyone else, Grace, or do you think we've covered the main dangers for Saturday? I think we've definitely covered the main dangers and it's all about using this race as an example and, you know, trying to trying to tweak our ability to find winners when you've got this end of the spring racing carnival period of which, you know, we've got the next six weeks um, to be really seeing this clash of the hardened stakes horses versus the up-and-comers. You've got the class ones that might be coming to the end of their prep versus the ones that are still on the up and ready to take, um, you know, that next mantle of being Country Cup winners over the next coming weeks. Very exciting. Really looking forward to seeing how this one plays out on Saturday. Well, Grace, that is the end of our Cranbourne Cup preview. It's going to be a great race. And as we mentioned at the start of the show, we will be talking to Penny Penfold from Country Racing Victoria next week, which is going to be a very interesting chat. We met Penny at the Wakeful Club Awards Day. Uh, We were lucky enough to be sat at her table and she ended up taking away the Spirit of Racing Award on the day, which is a really prestigious award there's been some very deserving winners of that award in the past so she's a woman who is kicking goals in racing and most importantly in country racing which is such an important ingredient in the racing landscape isn't it grace absolutely i cannot wait to speak to penny because you know we spoke a little bit about it at the top of the show how much these country cups and country clubs mean to a lot of people in different jurisdictions. So Penny will be the perfect person to talk to us more about that. So we will be back with another episode next week with Penny as our special guest. And this weekend we are playing our tipping competition once again. Last week, Sarah Harris took it out, which uh, was very good. Very interestingly, it was the first time uh, in the tipping comps running that there was a race where no one got the winner. Grace, would you like to have a little guess as to which race it was that no one picked the winner last week? I know there were some strange results, Fee. Off the top of my head, I cannot for the life of me think of what it was. It was Magic Time, the one that got you as well. Oh my goodness, are you serious? (laughs) She was the favourite. I don't think anyone picked it. So that was very interesting to see. But Sarah came out on top with 11 points. Congratulations to her. And this week we normally play uh, on the track that has the premier race meeting, which this week would be Perth. But we are going to stay in Victoria this week for the Cranbourne Cup. I know there's a lot of, I know a lot of our listeners will be probably trackside on the day and will be very familiar with the horses running around at Cranbourne. So we're going to stick to the Cranbourne Cup this week. Uh, So we will be tipping for races 7, 8, 9 and 10. If you want to join in on the fun to be in to win the $50 cash prize, all you have to do is sign up to our members club, which uh, you can find a link to in the show notes. But until next week with Penny, guys, we hope you have a lovely weekend of racing and we will be catching you very soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.